Thank you, Linda. A closer walk with thee. That's what we all need. My friends, the Lord has told me that he'll destroy man from the face of the earth because all man's thoughts are evil continually, and the Lord is sorry that he has made man. Therefore, the Lord will send a mighty rain to flood the earth, destroying both man and beast, and they fall of the air. But the Lord is not without compassion. Anyone who believes and comes to repentance and reformation will find pardon and enters the ark. That same soul shall be saved. For a hundred and twenty years, nor preached the destruction that was to take place in the near future. Not a regional destruction, but a worldwide destruction. Some believed, yes. It wasn't just Noah and his family that built the ark. In Patriots and Prophets, chapter 7, Methuselah and his sons, who lived to hear the preaching of Noah, assisted in building the ark, end quote. Further down in the same chapter, Ellen White writes, Many at first appeared to receive the warning, yet they did not turn to God with true repentance. They were unwilling to renounce their sins. During the time that elapsed before the coming of the flood, their faith was tested, and they failed to endure the trial. Overcome by the prevailing unbelief, they finally joined their former associates in rejecting the solemn message. Some were deeply convicted and would have heeded the words of warning. But there was two, but there were so many to jest and ridicule that they partook of the same spirit, resisted the invitation of mercy, and were soon among the boldest and most defiant scoffers. For none are so reckless as to go to such length in sin as these as do these do those who have once had light, but have resisted the convicting spirit of God. <clears throat> End quote. I feel that a few of Noah's friends possibly came to him to help steer him back to reality. Like, really, Noah? Rain from the sky? A flood? The destruction of the world? Ellen White writes, The world before the flood reasoned that for centuries the laws of nature had been fixed. The recurring seasons had come in their order. Heretofore, rain had never fallen. The earth had been watered by a mist or dew. The rivers had never yet passed their boundaries, but had bore their waters safely to the sea. Fixed decrees had kept the water from overflowing their banks, but these reasoners did not recognize the hand of him who stayed the waters." End quote. Finally, the ark was done. Food was stored for man and beast. Ellen White writes, And now the servant of God made his last solemn appeal to the people. With an agony of desire that words cannot express, he entreated them to seek a refuge while it might be found. End quote. I believe Noah's agony would come later. You see, outside the ark were strangers, neighbors, and family. In Genesis 5.30, and the Mac, after he begat Noah 590 and five years, he begat sons and daughters. Noah had brothers and sisters outside the ark, and possibly nieces and nephews, maybe even some aunts and uncles. This is Noah's last call for safety. The heart is longing for them to believe and repent and to come into the ark. As Noah looks out, he sees friends. Maybe childhood friends that he used to play with while he was a child. People he, he grew up with. He sees family, brothers, and sisters. 
possibly aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews. He pleads with them that the flood will soon be. Come into the ark and be safe. Suddenly, the crowd becomes silent. Wild beasts and animals stream from the forest and mountains, making their way to the ark. Birds from every direction filled the sky and came into the ark. This scene did but put a momentary impression on the hearts of the people. God commanded Noah to gather his family and enter the ark. God shut the door to the ark. Ellen White writes, For seven days after Noah and his family entered the ark, there appeared no sign of the coming storm. During this period, their faith was tested. It was a time of triumph to the world without. The apparent delay confirmed them in the belief that Noah's message was a delusion and that the flood would never come. Notwithstanding the solemn scenes which they had witnessed, the beasts and birds entering the ark, and the angel of God closing the door, they still continued their sport and reverie, even making a jest of these signal manifestations of God's power. They gathered in crowds about the ark, deriling its inmates with a daring violence which they had never ventured upon before. But upon the eighth day, dark clouds overspread the heavens. There followed the muttering of thunders and the flash of lightning. Soon large drops of rain began to fall. The world had never witnessed anything like this, and the hearts of men were struck with fear. All were secretly inquiring, can it be that Noah was in the right? And that the world is doomed to destruction? Darker and darker grew the heavens, and faster came the falling rain. The beasts were roaming about in wildest terror, and, this, this, and their discordant cries seemed to moan out their own destiny and the fate of man. Then the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. Water appeared to come from the clouds in mighty cataracts. Rivers broke away from their boundaries and overflowed the valleys. Jets of water burst from the earth with indescribable force, throwing massive rocks hundreds of feet into the air, and these, in falling, buried themselves deep in the ground. The people at first beheld the destruction of the works of their own hand. Their splendid buildings and the beautiful gardens and groves where they had placed their idols were destroyed by lightning from heaven, and the ruins were scattered far and wide. The altars on which human sacrifices had been offered were torn down, and the worshippers were made to tremble at the power of the living God, and to know that it was their corruption and idolatry which had called down their destruction. As the violence of the storm increased, trees, buildings, rocks, and earth were hurled in every direction. The terror of man and beast was beyond description. Above the roar of the tempest was heard the wailing of a people that had despised the authority of God, Satan himself, who was compelled to remain in the midst of the warring elements, feared for his own existence. He had delighted to control so powerful a race and desired them to live to practice their abominations and continue their rebellion against the ruler of heaven. He now uttered imprecations against God, charging him with injustice and cruelty. Many of the people, like Satan, blasphemed God, and had they been able, they would have torn him from the throne of power. Others were frantic with fear, stretching their hands towards the ark and pleading for admittance, but their entries were in vain. Conscience was at last aroused to know that there is a God who ruled in the heavens. They called upon him earnestly, but his ear was not open to their cry. 
in that terrible hour, they saw that the transgression of God's law had caused their ruin. Yet, while through fear of punishment, they acknowledged their sin, they felt no, to, no true contrition or abhorrence of evil. They would have returned to the defiance of heaven had the judgment been removed. So when the God's judgment shall fall upon the earth before it's deluged by fire, the imperent will know just and where know where and what their sin is, the despising of his holy law. Yet they will have no more true repentance than did the old world sinners. Some in their desperation endeavored to break into the ark, but the firm main structure withstood their efforts. Some clung to the ark until they were bore away by the certain waters, or their holders broken by collision with rocks and trees." End quote. Do you think that Noah couldn't hear what was going on outside the ark? The total and utter pain that he must have been feeling, the helplessness, the agony. Actually, everybody on the ark lost family members who were outside the ark, quite possibly some that were holding on to the ark were family members thinking, that's my uncle in there. That's my brother in there. God won't let me die. They were wrong. Uncle Noah, brother, help. One by one, their voices were silenced until all that was left was the sound of the raging storm. Let's zoom forward to present time. We, like Noah, have a message to give to the world. The world is going to be going to be destroyed again, not by water, but by fire. The sinful world is not going to continue forever. Do we know when the end will be? Did Noah know when the flood would come? In Revelation 14, 6 through 12, and I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And to every nation and kindred and tongue and people sing with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture in the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest. Day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In this text, we have a message to give to the whole world. We are to worship the one true God. Babylon, which means confusion or false worship, that system will fall. And in the end, there's going to be... There's going to be just two classes of people, those that worship the beast and his image and those that worship God. We are, to, we are to inform our neighbors and families of this. In the Review and Herald, April 23, 1901, Ellen White writes, Those who desire to have the seal of God in their foreheads must keep the Sabbath of the fourth commandment. 
Thus, they are distinguished from the disloyal who have accepted a man-made institution in place of the true Sabbath. In Ezekiel 33, 8-9, when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his ways, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his ways to turn from it, if he does not turn from his ways, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. You see, we have a job to do. We are to warn everyone of Jesus' second coming and to turn from their sinful ways. If we fail to do our task, God will hold us responsible for them being lost. We are not to be silent. We are to proclaim of our Jesus' soon return. I would like to share a personal testimony with you today. I believe what I have experienced, there's a lesson that we all can learn from it. My family has never heard of this incident. The year, 2016, December 12th. The night before, we had our first real snowfall. At 7 a.m., the kids drove off to school and work. My wife, she was working midnight shift, so I was home all alone. I figured that I'd get the snowblower, clean up the driveway before my wife comes home. So I go to the garage, get some fresh, ga- get some fresh gas, walk to the barn where the snowblower is, put in the fresh gas, and start cranking and cranking and cranking. The engine wouldn't even sneeze. I had two choices. Walk back to the garage and get some tools or pull the snowblower to the garage so I can fix it. I uh, figured that I could pull it but as fast as just walking back to the garage and that way I could save some time. Boy, I was wrong. In the springtime, I measured the distance. It was a 400 and 60-foot pole through the snow. I got about 100 feet, and then it was break time. Had rested a few minutes, and then started pulling again. Went about another 100 feet, it's, you know, it's break time again. Rested a few more minutes, I figured just one more pull to go. You see, my barn is on top of a hill, and my third pull was just before the downslope. I had gravity on my side. So, off I go. Partway down the hill, my legs are aching. I look back at the snowblower, and it's not the only thing that I'm pulling. I guess the snow was a little deeper there too because I was pulling a little snowbank with the snowblower. I believe Satan waited for the opportune moment to show me how pathetic my life really is. At that very moment, my mind was flooded with all the problems I had to face in my life, and I swallowed his faith, hook, line, and sinker. As I was pulling the snowblower plus the snow, I started to complain to my Heavenly Father of how my life, of how nothing seemed to go right for me. And the worst part is, I am totally exhausted, and I am 50 feet from the garage. 
and I can't pull it another foot. So there I am, totally exhausted and trying to catch my breath. I am breathing in and out deeply, but it's like I'm not getting in any air. The state goes on for a few minutes. During this time, my complaining turns ugly to my Heavenly Father. Simply put, I sinned. This was not my finest moment. Dizziness sets in. There I am, walking back and forth, breathing deeply in a dizzy state, knowing that I have a task to complete. I have to get the driveway done before my wife gets home. I took off my hat so as to help cool myself down. And the next thing I know, I'm waking up in total darkness. No sun is shining. No birds are singing. Just total quietness. And these are my thoughts. I, I must have had a massive heart attack. I died. I'm in the grave. Right then, my thoughts go to my family. You see, I knew my wife would be okay. I knew that in time, she would have found a good husband, someone who is more spiritual than I am, someone who can provide her with a nice home that she deserves and a life that's better than just surviving. My kids. I thought, did they all get married? Did they have children? Did they grow old and are resting in the grave too? And then I thought, how long have I been in the grave for? You see, I knew the only reason why I have woken up from death is because of Jesus' return. Inside, I felt relief. This world is finally over. Any moment now, my grave will be open and I'll see Jesus and will go home with him. Joy, inexpressible joy, filled my soul. I figured that as my grave was being unearthed, I would hear the angels singing become louder and louder. And I wanted to cherish every nuance that, was about, that I was about to experience. I intensely listened and, and I, I didn't hear anything, not a sound. I started to think, what if? What if I slept through Christ's second coming? What if I'm not part of the redeemed? What if this is Christ's third coming? You know, you see, uh, when Jesus comes back again, the redeemed go back home with him. That's Christ's second coming. They stay in heaven for a thousand years, and then after a thousand years, the redeemed will be in the new Jerusalem. They'll come back down to earth. And that's when the wicked will be re-raised up again. That would be Christ's third coming. The joy that I experienced a few moments ago faded and was, and was, and was replaced by fear. As I started to realize the position that I was in, you see, I sinned just before I died. I died before I had time to calm down and ask God to forgive my outburst. I had an unrepented sin in my life. Fear that I had inside of me grew into horror. I knew that it was too late. My case has already been decided. The redeemed, you, my church family, 
has seen my life record, and you've judged me and the amount of time that I will suffer. The Great Controversy, Chapter 41, Ellen White writes, During the thousand years between the first and second resurrection, the judgment of the wicked takes place. The Apostle Paul points to this judgment as an event that follows the second advent. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. Daniel will make manifest, oh, in Daniel, make manifest the counsels of the heart. Oh, sorry. And Daniel declares that when the Ancient of Days came, judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. Daniel 7.22 At this time the righteous reigned as kings and priests unto God. John in the Revelation says, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. They shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelations 24 and 6. It is at this time, as foretold by Paul, the saints shall, shall judge the world, 1 Corinthians 6, 2. In union with Christ, they judge the wicked, comparing their acts with the statute book, the Bible, and deciding every case according to the deeds done in the body. Then the portion which the wicked must suffer is metered out according to their works and is recorded against their names in the book of death. As my soul sank deeper and deeper, horror changed to terror. As I lied in my grave, I was, I was terrified of what was about to happen. My grave was about to open, and I would come out to face my punishment. The terror that I felt was not so much burning in hell. It was far worse. I am not part of the redeemed. I am not going to live forever with the saints. I am not going to visit other worlds or talk to the angels. And I am not going to have open communion with my Heavenly Father. The thoughts of I am not weighed very heavy on me. During my life, I believed that I would be part of the redeemed. And now, I felt that great loss. The fires of hell awaited me. Why did I have to sin at that point in time? You see, God is ready and willing to forgive us of any of our sins that we commit. But there's one sin that God cannot forgive, the unconfessed sin. As I lie there waiting, my soul sinks as far as it can go. Abject terror grips me. I feel that my heart is going to fail. And I thought, I'm going to die here in my grave. As soon as I finished that thought, my eyes were opened. As I opened my eyes, I was lying on the ground. I thought, my family buried me right where I died. How kind. I looked over at the house, half expecting someone to come out and say, Hey you, get off my land. With the new Jerusalem on earth, I looked at the sky in the east. And then I looked to the west. I figured that the glory of God should make the sky look brighter. I didn't really see any difference. Just then I wanted to see my grave. I turned around expecting to see my coffin open up six feet down in the ground. But all I saw was snow on the ground and the snowblower. Totally confused, I looked around and all my farm equipment was in the same spot. 
if I died, the new owner wouldn't have left everything in the same spot. I would say it took me about 10 to 15 seconds to come to realize I didn't die. I'm still alive. Jesus has not come back yet for his second coming or his third. I still have time. I still have time. Relief entered my soul. I decided to go and get some breakfast. As soon as I took my first step, I felt something in my heart. I can't quite say what it was, but every heartbeat thereafter was quite painful. Every night, I wondered if I was going to pass away that night. Every new day, the pain was a little less. It took about two weeks for the pain to go away. I want to say this. I truly believe on December the 12th, at about 7.30 a.m., God intervened in what would have been a tragic event. I believe that with all situations that we may face in our life, there are lessons to be learned. In this ordeal, there is a lesson that I have learned that I would like to share with you today. You see, in our life, we do not know the future. We do not know what is going to happen a minute from now, an hour from now, a day from now. In reality, all you have is right now, this moment in time. As moments come and go, what are we doing with our precious moments in time? In Noah's time, the antediluvian race wasted 120 years of precious moments in unbelief. Ellen White writes how those doomed sinners longed for the opportunity which they had slighted. How they pleaded for one hour's probation, one more privilege of mercy, one call from the lips of Noah. But the sweet voice of mercy was no more to be heard by them. End quote. One day, our precious moments will run out. An example. If my heart were to stop right now, in five to seven seconds, I would lose consciousness. Those with medical training would rush up here and analyze the situation. Seeing that I have no heartbeat, CPR would be initiated. If my heart could not be restarted, irreversible brain damage would occur in three to five minutes and death shortly thereafter. My time would have run out. People talk about the game of life. I'm here to tell you, life is no game. By God's blessing, I was permitted to experience death. I was permitted to experience the grave. I was permitted to experience the joy, the inexpressible joy of the righteous at Jesus' second coming. I know the joy is inexpressible. We cannot, I cannot tell you how it feels. But it's like every cell of my body had that joy. It's not, it's not like I, I, I was joyful, but every cell seemed to have that inexpressible joy. And I was permitted to experience the abject terror of the wicked. In life, there are only two sides to choose from, God or Satan. Are we living up to all the light that God has given us? If not, 
then we are choosing the wrong side. Ask yourself this question. If you were to die right now, which resurrection would you be in? The one that you would have indescribable joy or the one that you would have or you would feel abject terror? God is life. Satan is death. Probation is soon to close and end time events are getting closer. If your heart is beating right now, if you are breathing right now, if you're conscious right now, 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 at this moment in time, is all that you really have. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, now is the time. If you're a baptized Christian and you've been backsliding and you want to rededicate your life to God, now is the time. If you have any sin that's separating you from your Heavenly Father, now is the time. Now is when you need to ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit. First, to convict you of your sins. And second, to give you the strength to overcome your weaknesses. Don't think that you have time on your side. In most cases, death will take you by surprise. It took me. I didn't know that I died until I woke up in my grave at Jesus' return. If you are woken up at the second coming with the righteous, that is good. But if you are woken up at the third coming with the wicked, at that point, it is too late. You see, Jesus' Jesus' proclamation a thousand years before, in Revelation 22.11, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. When Jesus speaks these words, probation is closed. Your character cannot be changed. After this, just like in Noah's time, when God shut the door to the ark, Probation closed for the antediluvian race. Now is the time to ask God to change your character. I want to tell you a little story. There was this woman in Toronto. She's an Adventist. Single mother, two children. One day she, you know, gets her kids ready for school. And she goes to work. I'm not too sure if when she was going to work, when she was coming home from work, Crossing the busy trial streets, I guess the truck was going a little too fast. It hit a car in front of it, and that car hit her. She was killed. You see, being a Christian does not mean that we are to live a long life. Accidents do happen. The real question is, are you living up to all the light that God has given you? If your life is cut short, what res- resurrection will you be a part of? Will you be raised up with inexpressible joy or abject terror? Right now, as you listen to this song, reflect on where you are with your walk with the Lord. Are you living up to all the light that God has given you? The Lord is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. What is your answer to him? Time after 
time he has waited before, and now he is waiting again to see if you're willing to open the door. How he wants to come in. How Jesus wants to come into your life and into my life. And in closing, I would like to leave you with a single thought: Now is the time. Thank you.